gentlemen, do you think there exists a parallel universe by which uh, Manchester United beat Istanbul, that's actually here, lose to Everton, Marcus Rashford isn't wonderful, and Donald Trump wins the election? Ugh. But both both of the two worlds are in a, 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 a sort of bittersweet, aren't they? Eh, in a way. Yeah, I mean, I'm just... Uh... I just feel like everything's all over the place at the moment, so I don't yeah. know where I stand. Well, you sat down for a start, so <laughs> it is. It's like there it is. It's like it's like a it's it's like a sort of bipolar existence, isn't it? Just the entire world. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just feel like time is is passing really in a really strange way as well. Like we're, we're going to have to talk about the Arsenal game in a few minutes, and um, that just seems like a, a lifetime ago. Well, it kind of was. It was what ugh, seven nights ago. It wasn't that much fun. But before we get into that, we've got the intros to do, haven't we, gentlemen? Welcome everyone to this week's Red Voices. You've got a triple header this. Week. Everyone's on board tonight. You've got me, you and Lenny. You've got him, Richard Cannon, him, the other one, Paul Gunning, to discuss three wildly different games. Well, two weren't so different in the shape of the defeats to Arsenal and Istanbul Basaksa here in the Champions League and Saturday's. I'm about to say surprising, adept, I think is the word I'm going to describe for that victory over Everton, coupled with a brilliant victory for United women yesterday against Arsenal, which leaves them top of the Women's Super League. But before we get on top of that, Richard, how are we? I'm not too bad. I'm more chipper after after the weekend mm-hmm. than I would have been before the weekend. But uh, yeah, not too bad. And, and mm-hmm. obviously the free world, the free world is in better hands now. Well, nearly. The, the, well, not not for another couple of months, no. and I'm assuming it's not going to be a necessary a uh, a very peaceful transfer of power now, is no, it? Considering no, no. that your boy Don is fully in, invested in the conspiracy theory rabbit hole right now. But there we mm. go. Take what you can get, you know. Yep. Small victories. Yep. Speaking of small victories, Paul. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Just carry on. <laughs> small victories. It's a small victory, I suppose. That um, that. I don't know. What, I don't know where I'm going. With no, it it's fine. Mostly, how are you? <laughs> I'm all right, thanks, mate. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Th- it's been a mad week, mm-hmm. hasn't it? With everything that's been going on in America, and then um, and United just being all over the show, and yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. good. Oh, I'm very pleased to hear it. So. Unfortunately, Paul, as you noted not long ago, uh, we do have to kick things back to last weekend to discuss United's rather chastening victory at home to Arsenal, which extended our dreadful form at Old Trafford an extra game. What was that, the first time that Arsenal beat us at home in the league since 2006, I think it was, when Emmanuel Adebayor scored, I believe, uh, which was... Uh, not necessarily the best game. Thomas Cusack was in that that game, so and I'm delaying this yeah. because I really just don't want to. Yeah, I'm delaying this chat because I really just don't want to talk about this game because it was an absolute mm. farce. I mean, where do you even start with a performance like that coming off the back of the RV Leipzig victory? It was maybe it shouldn't have been surprising, but the low ebb with which United started and continued in that game, at least until what the 85th minute or so, was. Pretty chastening. Uh, as an experience, it was not particularly enjoyable at all, Paul. And United pretty much got what they deserved, which was absolutely naffle. Yeah, all true. It probably shouldn't have been surprising, really, because this is what United do, isn't it? We're, we're consistently inconsistent. And, you know, we've still got a young squad, so you think, well, maybe it's partly to do with that. But it's it's more than that. There's something missing. This game, more than any other, and I include the, the 6-1 to Spurs in this, really sort of had me feeling quite low. The 6-1 against Spurs, it was kind of like, well, you know, even as I was watching it, it felt like it wasn't real. It was, you know, it was very early in the season. United looked looked undercooked. But this this was different. This just 
the players just didn't seem to turn up. And I thought it was interesting what Harry Maguire said after the Arsenal match. I've not got the quote in front of me, but he was he was sort of talking about how the the five 0 against Leipzig had had an effect, possibly had an effect on the players. Where he almost said like they were believing their own hype. You know, gone to their heads. If that's the case, then you know what the hell is going on. Yeah, I mean that was worrying for me as well. In particular, in the sense that they had one good victory. United hadn't proved a single thing. They had. No. It certainly made something of a statement against a team that was in the semi-finals of the Champions League last year. But again, you know, very much in the same way that we beat PSG in the Champions League in 2019. That didn't mean anything in the context of it because we went out the following round. You know, it's all very well and good having one-off victories, but you've got to keep them together. And Rich, to hear that some of them are believing their own hype after a 5-0 win, considering what we know of this United side as well, that's a bit of a goddamn worry, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go back to you saying that the the Arsenal game is a farce, which I think is bold because you've now got to think of a word that's considerably worse than that for the uh, the game in Istanbul. Um, but I'll leave that with you. Uh, but um, I'm going to Google synonyms right now. Hold on. But um, circus. I, I I don't know how much to take Maguire's word as you know as as, as an actual um, approximation of what actually happened because it's it's the kind of thing that footballers say after they've been beaten. I remember there was an enormous fuss last season at some point I can't remember exactly when it was when Pogba said a similar thing after a defeat with our attitude was wrong or something or I and I, th- I think I just think that's that's what footballers go back to because they can't ever say the tactics were shit if if they believe that although Pogba did once against Wolves didn't he um but but you take my point that they, they, they can't say anything that's critical of anybody else so they they tend to reflect back on themselves and say look it's us it's our fault we weren't good enough whatever i don't think it's that i i mean i've you know my my theory is that united are as inconsistent as they are because of because of tactical reasons really um and how teams set up against us if i look at united's team i think there's probably eight or nine players in that team that if they were to leave united tomorrow would go to top european clubs i think probably the, the exceptions for me might would be perhaps luke shaw and mctominay but I mean, you can even see Fred or Lindelof rocking up at Inter or you know Roma or somewhere, can't you? But but most of those players, we we've got very 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 good players in a lot of positions, and so to have that much variation in their performances from one week to the next, it's got to be something deeper than that. And I just kind of feel like if teams set up very well against us and play in a certain way against us, we don't have an answer, and we we tend to we tend to flap and we tend to kind of lose our shape and lose our um, our direction and just struggle to find answers to it. Whereas if a team plays in a way that that allows us to get traction in the game and gain confidence and and actually start moving the ball about and doing damage as Everton did at the weekend, then I think we're a far more confident team. And it just it it's just kind of this against Leipzig. I don't think we did anything exceptional in the first half, but we scored the first goal. And from that point, at some point in that second half, Leipzig had to open up, and we've got the players to cut teams apart when they do that. Um, but conceding the first goal against Arsenal, I, I honestly think if I think Maguire had a had a header in the second half that he kind of just put wide as the the post, and I think if we'd gone a goal up, Arsenal would have had to open up and we could have probably smashed them two or three. But because Arsenal, because they didn't, and because they just kept the shape and they kept pressing high and they were very very compact and moving the ball about very well. We just didn't have an answer to it, and we don't seem to be able to adapt in games, whether that's the players or whether that's Ollie. And I think as soon as we hit mm. a setback, it's very off- we very often find it difficult to find our heads again, which is, I suppose, a 
a positive of, of Everton that we didn't see in the previous two games. I know it's been said before, but Harry Maguire, for such a big lad, and for someone who's probably been hearing the words put on Harry's head, lads, all his life, is really crap in the air, isn't he? He is, atta- in an offensive when, sense, yeah. When yeah. he's in the opposite, in an offensive yeah. sense. Like, terrible. He gets so many chances. If he put like half his chances away, we'd be top of the bloody league. Yeah, he's got 50 feet heat, doesn't he? Really? It's unbelievable. Yeah. It is actually. It is actually mm. a slab. It must be a slab, mustn't it? it just comes off his head with <laughs> just, odd angles. Just ricochets. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, Rich, what you were saying there about the Arsenal game and that, that a lot of that sort of holds true for the Istanbul game. But there's and there are some threads between this collection of games that hold true. But again, as you mentioned for the Everton game, we responded to that setback reasonably well. You know, and we did quite well against Newcastle to come back and you know, basically steamrolled them in the second half, or at least the end of the second half. And it is just, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get when United hit a setback in some of these games. Like the, the to fall behind to that Denver bar goal in Istanbul, because I mean, well, to, to go back to the Arsenal game, when Paul Pogba gave away another penalty blessing, I mean, it was a terrible performance by the man on Sunday. And it's something, so that, yeah, well, I don't think anyone really came out of that game with anything approaching credit because it was incredibly disjointed. We made very, very few chances. And what does it say about United's play that the best chance that we had, the closest that we came to a goal that entire game was right at the death where the ball bounced off the post and hit Leno. Mm. You know, that was that was basically it. And that was just from set pieces, a bit of chaos towards the end. And that was similar in Istanbul. You know, we came very close to scoring with a completely farcical own goal in the end in Istanbul on Wednesday. But United just looked... And initially, in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes of that game, we looked all right. We looked like there was some purpose and we looked like we were just probing, trying to find a little bit of space. As soon as we conceded that Denver Bar goal, we looked flat as all hell. And it's just this fragility that United still seem to possess. And it doesn't happen every single game, but it certainly happened in midweek where they just that their ability to react to setbacks is just completely absent. And especially for that Denver bar goal, I mean, so much has been spoken about the way United conceded it. And it was pretty terrible, Paul. But, I mean, you just don't see things like that in top flight football. It's difficult to understate just how bad that was. Yeah, I was, um, I'd actually had to nip out to take my son to his final football training session. So I had it on on the car on the radio and I I can't remember who was commentating. It was on TalkSport and and whoever it was was said, that's po- quite possibly the worst goal I've ever seen conceded at the Champions League. And I looked at my son and just, and just said, oh, ugh, you know, anti-United agenda sort of thing. Of course it is, you know. And then I went home and watched it and I completely agree. I mean, I've heard people talking about Hackney Marshes and schoolboy football. And it was kind of, you know, it's kind of harsh on schoolboys to, to compare them with that kind of... I mean, I've never seen anything like it. You know, under David Moore, as we all sort of complained because he was too defensive and we had a corner and he left too many players back and whatever. I mean, this is just like, it's just so basic, so basic. I don't even know what to say about it, really. It, it's, it, I've never seen anything like it. And it almost felt like the players, the, you know, you said that they went flat. They were probably embarrassed. Yeah, I mean, you could see what United, from the start, they clearly decided to play with a really, really high back line um and i presume on the assumption that that there wasn't going to be a lot of joy in punting the ball to a 36 year old centre forward but it was pretty clear from 
very early on. I mean, the, the goal was a particular shit fest. I think I think looking at, looking back at it, you could kind of see what happened in that Aaron Wan-Bissaka went forward to try and receive the short corner, and for some reason he was he was supposed to be the furthest man back. But in that situation, then someone else is supposed to drop back, but they didn't. Um, and I wonder if it was Tu and Zibe. The whole game to me looked like the sort of performance you get when you make a few changes and there you have a few few partnerships that haven't played together in the last few weeks and you have the odd player out of position so we kind of tried Van Baek in a slightly more withdrawn role and and they just they, they, there was clearly just no understanding between any of the partnerships or any of the groups of players in the team and just from the back to the front I mean the defence were clearly just their heads were gone weren't they from really from that first goal but but even in the midfield, you could see there was no shape to anything United were doing. It, we had players cl- clustering in the same areas of the pitch and actually you know, closing down passing lanes. And none of it made any sense. None, it was just an absolute tactical shit show. And I don't know how much of that you can put on Ollie, and I, or how much it was just a load of players who just weren't able to put into practice what he'd asked them to do. I don't know. But it but it, it was one of the worst tactical performances I've ever seen from United. In that respect, it was very schoolboy-like, wasn't it? You know, like young kids, when, when you watch young kids, they just chase the ball. They sort of crowd around the ball like a flock of geese or something, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're watching it just thinking, what's the plan here? Like, what is the plan? What, the, what have you been told before the game? Because, what you know, whatever Ollie has told them, it certainly wasn't go out there and play like... You know, a, a, I don't even know what, like a bunch of schoolboys, whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, appalling, really. And there was no real energy, and there was there was no real sort of, I don't know, like even just a bit of pride. Like you can see the goal like that, you want to see a bit of a reaction, don't you, in your players? And and what we saw was the opposite of a, of a of a positive reaction. It was just kind of going into their shells, tails between the legs, and. Yeah, not good at all. Well, I mean, the again, one of the myriad ways in which you cannot necessarily predict which United you're going to get from game to game, especially at the moment, is the way in which... And I don't know whether or not how... I don't really feel like blaming Tuanzebi for this because he came into the side and didn't have a great game. But the lack of organisation in that backfire was just catastrophic, wasn't it? And for that mm-hmm. second goal, it was just criminal. Like... It wasn't great to put Matter under that much pressure, especially when we didn't necessarily have everyone back in that instance. But the way in which Tuanzebi goes across, followed by Maguire, and leaves that massive amount of space on United's left flank. All right, sure, it already been pushed high up the pitch, so he was a bit too far away. I'm not sure how much I want to blame him for that. But between the four of them, and in particular for Harry Maguire, because he knows he's the senior figure in that back four, the, the lack of organisation on show in that game from back to front was just appalling. And as soon as that mm-hmm. second goal went in, I mean, it was everything that Istanbul deserved. You know, they didn't necessarily have great chances, but they were lethal when they got their opportunities. And fair play to them. Mm-hmm. You know, no complaints at all. The one thing that I thought going into the halftime break was at least we managed to get a goal back. And it was a great cross from Luke Shaw, an even better header from Martial, who again endured a, a slightly difficult game. And you're thinking at that stage, all right, well, this has been a terrible first half. It's been devoid of any sort of tactical plan. It's just been an absolute shit show. And we're in danger of losing a game that, you know, it basically the two wins that we got against PSG and Leipzig gave us something of a buffer and then provided us with an excellent opportunity to get qualifications sewn up before we have to play either of them again. And it looked like we were going to throw it away. But you thought second half, let's see a response. Nothing. Absolutely sod all. And the fact that we had that much attacking talent, that much quality, that much nous and ability on the pitch and did barely anything with it. I mean, again, the 
the individual performances were not great the overarching tactical plan was just non-existent you know there was nothing there to suggest that we were going to start building or breaking down or starting to make space everyone was just so crammed in together there was no width there was no running in behind there was just nothing at all and Istanbul again had clearly figured out that the best way to stop us once they got in the lead was just to sit tight and then wait for their opportunity in the break but even at that point they didn't do anything in the second half, really. They got a couple of outballs, but rarely threatened themselves. And fair play, they didn't really need to do anything else in that game to win it. And that's the galling thing about those two victories, is that neither Arsenal or Istanbul have to, had to do much on the ball to win against us. In both games, we kind of look, certainly as, as an attacking force, I mean, obviously the defensively we were appalling, but as an attacking force, we just kind of looked a bit desperate and uncouth, didn't we? You know, like, barely create any chances. I mean, in, in for the um, Istanbul game, I felt sorry for Peter Drury because he's got one of those voices as a commentator that wherever, whenever United player gets anywhere near the opposite opposition box, there's a bit of a tinge of excitement. You just knew. I, I remember saying to you guys on the WhatsApp group for the Arsenal game and about 20 minutes ago, we're not going to score here. And I felt exactly the same. On um, Wednesday night, you know, 20, 30 minutes ago, I just thought, we're not going to score. There's no way. Yeah. It just fizzled out. Every single attack just fizzled out every single time. It was like a team of strangers. Istanbul didn't do anything special tactically at all. There was nothing to it. There was really nothing to it apart from apart from get the ball, get it forward really quickly. That was it, really. Get it over the back, get it over the back four and, and try and flood, flood us in attack. And that, that, that. I don't think the I don't think the Arsenal performance was complacency, but that that performance looked to me like United going out, just thinking we've got better players than them. We don't we don't yeah, need to totally. do anything special here tactically. We just yeah we just need to go out there and show our class, and if we do that, then we'll be fine. And then I think as soon as they discovered that the, the it wasn't going to be that easy, everyone kind of fell apart rather than rather than trying but to organise. If that is the case, though. As if you're going to go to to a, a team like that, you know, for for them, it's this is like a cup final. It's it's one of the biggest nights of their lives, and as if they're not going to go in and, and go go out and try and you know win the game and and put on a good show and it's just bizarre. Yeah, I can't explain it. I mean, yeah, it was one of the worst tactical performances I've ever seen from a United team. It's just just an absolute nonsense. So what what is <laughs> your word, Ewan? What is your word then? If oh, my it, word. If, if, it was fr- if it was a farce on Sunday, what was that then? Feast your eyes on these. It was a mockery, a, a sham, a travesty, <laughs> a caricature of a good performance. They all work. A stramash, as the Scottish would say. A slapstick performance, make no mistake. It was, yes. Well done. Of deepest, darkest comedy. <laughs> yes, indeed. No problem. Omnishambles. Omnishambles, that's oh, the one. Right, oh. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it just popped into my head. We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. Right, I mean, before we get on to uh, the last game of the week, which will be United-Everton, I think it's time to have a brief sojourn to talk about United's very, very impressive victory, United women's very impressive victory against uh, Arsenal yesterday over at Lee Sports Village. Now, a little bit of context for uh, where (laughs) this result, this 1-0 victory actually sits, because it is a particularly impressive one to take note of. 
If we look at Arsenal's recent record, it has been two years since they lost to anyone outside outside of the established top three, which is themselves, Chelsea and City, in terms of a league fixture. So far this season, over the space of uh, six games, sorry, even in those first five games, they scored 29 goals. That is a full 11 ahead of the nearest challenger, which in this case is Chelsea. The regular challengers, well, at least the regular qualifiers for the Champions League, and have a very, very good, very, very experienced side. So the task that faced United women yesterday was pretty big, and I've got to say they absolutely nailed it. It was probably the most impressive result of Casey Stoney's reign to date, I would say, and in performance in terms of the whole combination. It was, from start to finish, so committed, and considering the level of opposition that we were playing against, I think we outplayed them for pretty much the entire game. It was really so good to see the levels of effort and the intensity and the chasing and the harrying and not only that the defensive discipline to keep such a good Arsenal side out were absolutely magnificent Toby Heath and Kristen Press both had good chances before uh, Jess Sigsworth and Lauren James came on and it was Ella Toon who had an excellent game who was fed by Sigsworth who made an immense run down the right hand side really strong and powerful and then Toon gets a really precise shot off, not necessarily that much power, and it clips the post and goes in. And Q seems United top of the Women's Super League, barely a little over two years after their formation, which is some performance. You know, the team have, apart from that Liverpool game in the Conti Cup, they have played very impressive football, very confident, very good attacking football so far over these last couple of months. And you know, we're only six games into the league season. There's still plenty of football left to play, but the signs are looking very good that United have got something really impressive here. And Rich, as we've spoken about before, the fact that United have now, in the space of just over a year, turned these kind of results around against the big challenges in the Women's Super League, like Arsenal, like Chelsea, like City, where they were losing these games very tightly. They're now drawing with Chelsea. They're now beating Arsenal. You know, it's not to say that the job's done, because of course it isn't, but it's just you can't understate how big this is for the women's team and indeed the women's game in general it's a new challenger make no mistake about it I think I think that's the when United obviously looked at it at the end of the season we spoke about those sort of really sort of kind of heartbreaking defeats against particularly against Arsenal the previous season but you know against City as well and just not coming up short by far but just being beaten by a bit of quality or perhaps a bit of belief and I suppose part of the reason for bringing in the the two American girls was was really to kind of add confidence and experience and um and, and belief to it to a, a team that was otherwise it was kind of growing but it didn't have that experience of, of of really competing at the top in this country and I think once you break the back of that and once you you actually demonstrate to yourself that you can you can compete at that level then a lot more becomes possible and I think that was probably I and mean, we, we both saw the Chelsea game at the start of the season there are elements of that game where United were really good and there were points in it where you thought that maybe Chelsea's quality would you know would, would cut us apart and they'd win in the end but they didn't we got a draw out of it but this was this was a kind of real moment victory wasn't it a sort of statement of victory that mm. not just to other, the other teams but I guess to themselves as well you know they can do it and whereas Last year they were losing really late to Arsenal. This year they were beating Arsenal quite late. So whether they can go on from there, we'll see. But it's it's definitely um, it's definitely a really positive positive step. Sure. I mean, next comes two games against City in the space of a week, which are going to tell us again more about what we can expect out of United this season. You know, the game against City in the league on Sunday 
it's not i don't think it's going to decide city's uh presence in the title running but you know they've won three drawn two and lost one if you add another loss onto that and united can put more daylight in between the two of them then it's not looking good for the blue half of the city and the game in the conti cup as well after losing to liverpool so disappointingly earlier on in the season again it's the game against everton in the conti cup that was called off on Tuesday, on wednesday so that's again a big disappointment another thing to mention as well is alicia russo who has been massive for the united team so far this season is out injured just had surgery on a hamstring injury i think it was she's a massive blow so to have James and Sigsworth coming back into the team and Casey Stoney having options like that it's it's looking up and it's looking good and I'm struggling to not get really excited about it I mean even without fans there on Sunday that was a big victory it gave me a proper it, it was a really a heartwarming game to watch yeah I'd shut up I was going to say it gave me a bit of a buzz, but I thought that sounded a bit dodgy, I've got to admit. Yeah, it did, it did sound dodgy, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Moving on to the last game of the weekend. Uh, United-Everton. So, Paul, we've not heard from you in a couple of minutes. What were your thoughts when Bernard scoped home and scored the first goal after your terrible start? Well, I mean, obviously, I thought, here we go again. Solskjaer obviously picked a team that he trusted. You know, he reverted to players that he trusts, like Sir Freddie McTominay in midfield. And it, and it felt like he was just sort of saying, right, let's just shut up shop. Let's keep it tight. And then to concede a goal like that, you just thought, yeah, here we go again. And, and like you were saying earlier, you know, United can be so brittle when they face a bit of adversity, when they go goal down, that you just fear the worst. And actually, I thought the reaction against Everton was absolutely fantastic. It was kind of impeccable. I, I know I might be in the minority here, but I thought it was quite a professional performance given that I know Solskjaer obviously complained about the um, the lack of turnaround time sort of between the European game and, and this game. Mm. I thought we did enough um, without pulling up any trees. I thought we, we actually, if we'd taken some of our chances, we could have had this game out of sight long before we did. Um, Everton didn't really cause the hair that many problems in the second half. Well, we did drop off in the second half, you know, but I felt like at that point it was kind of a case of trying to conserve energy and keep it tight. Whereas in the first half, I thought we played some fantastic football. And both goals were, were, were in the first half were absolutely were excellent. You know, it wasn't just sort of the usual counter-attacking football that you see from United when we go away. Sometimes I was really impressed. And every time we have a bad week, or, or, or Oli has a bad week, I'm kind of looking for signs that the players are turned against him. I had a slight worry um, on Wednesday night that maybe they had, maybe this was it. And then they come back and play. I think really well against Everton and every time you know if, if you, you can say what you like about Oli but he's got the players behind him you know with, with all the talk about Pochettino um, going into this game obviously a story broke broken by um, Samuel Luckhurst that beacon of light in a world in a world of fake news um, <laughs> you know it, it was a huge game careful Paul you don't want to sound too much like a millennial <laughs> <laughs> it was a huge game for Ollie, another huge game for Ollie, and then once again, the players responded for him. I don't know if we're going to talk about Ollie, maybe later on in the pod, but you know my thoughts on him, they haven't changed. The Arsenal game and then the midweek game are the closest I've come since Burnley last season to sort of having doubts about Ollie and, and you know, starting to think oh, maybe this isn't right. But once again, we've we, you know we've come back and 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 put in a decent performance against Everton, and obviously we're way too inconsistent, way too inconsistent. But I still think there are just enough signs there, and I think he's done enough good work 
during the course of his time at United as as, as sort of full time manager to warrant a bit more time. Hmm. I think in a broader sense, you know, we can talk about the uh, impact of the games that came before this one and how that, what the position that left Oli in coming into the game. But I think tactically, Rich, going back to what we were speaking about earlier on, I think this was in a microcosm, and that first half in particular, a classic example of what happens when number one, you don't give United any space, and number two, what happens when you do. Initially, in that first 20 minutes, Everton were incredibly compact. United didn't create much of anything. And then they got a little bit confidence with that goal, which they weren't undeserving of, because every time they came forward in that first 20 minutes, they looked more dangerous than we were. But when they took the lead, Everton lost a lot of shape. They lost a lot of pressing on the ball. There was less pressure on the likes of Fred and Mata and Bruno Fernandes to find space and push up the pitch a little bit more. And as soon as that happened, United suddenly took control of the game and were able to move the ball quicker. They found more space and they started moving the ball much more efficiently. And then when they got that equaliser, at least for the first the 20 minutes following the equaliser or so, we were well on top. And it's just that... Comp- I'm not suggesting that United were undeserving of the lead, but I do think that needs to come into the equation in the sense that Everton definitely lost their shape tactically and that we certainly are able to take advantage of it. That's something that we already know, of course, because we know that East United side are very good at preying on space. But it, that, to me, was the biggest signifier that United still are incredibly dangerous if you... Don't, if you play them at their game, essentially. Everton did, and they paid for it. Yeah, there's ton- there, there, there's plenty of quality in that team. There really is. There's lots of quality. And, and we know that you know guys like Rashford and Bruno and, and Martial, even Mata, you know, Mata's not physically there for a, an incredibly intense battle anymore, but he's still got enormous quality on the ball. And, and with, with, with the two more kind of um, prosaic midfielders that we had behind them... And I think Fred had a had a terrific game as well, actually. One of probably United's I mean, I know Bruno got the plaudits, but I'd almost say that Fred was quietly United's best player. No, I completely agree. <laughs> I thought Bruno, despite scoring those two goals, he wasn't the best player well, on the we've, pitch. We've talked about this before, haven't we? It, I mean, I, you know, I love Bruno. He's he's completely changed United's fortunes in many ways and, and he's an absolute match winner, but he baffles me. He completely baffles me. He's capable of moments of absolute quality, absolute world class brilliance. And and he'll do that probably one in ten of the things he does will be absolutely <laughs> world class, and the other nine are just abysmal. And, and I just I don't understand how a player with that much quality, that much that much technique and ability to do off the cuff things that, with such precision can can do the most basic things so terribly in the same match. It just it just it it baffles me. But anyway, that's a different point. I, I'm not going to go on my weekly Bruno rant, but um. <laughs> well, well, I, I just already did. Done. I already have done. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, no, you're absolutely big, right. Big you're... chaos footballer, though, right? He yeah. feeds yeah. on the space that he gets in those sort of situations, and he will try things yeah. that a lot of players won't. And a lot of the times, it doesn't come off. And you're right; it's maddening when you see him just missing out on short, simple passes that could get United moving again a bit quicker, and just overhitting something or underhitting it, or not even hitting it. But again, you know. Look at his numbers. They're insane. A brace again to a two goals and an assist on Saturday. And good grief. Everything United do these days, he seems to be either at the heart of it or is it? That's kind Mad. of that's kind of the problem though, isn't it? That's almost it's a great it's a good it's both a positive and a negative. It's a positive in that we've 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 got a player who can now who can do those things and who can win matches in that position. But it's a negative in that that 
<clears throat> almost everything we do has to go through him. And if and if he's not able to provide that spark, if he's tactically outmaneuvered, if he doesn't get the space that he that he thrives on, then United really struggle. And I think you're right. I think that, that Everton had the number of of us in the first kind of twenty twenty five minutes and got got ahead and then lost lost some of their shape and. It's really interesting this this kind of knack that Ollie has or the, of getting the team to pull him out of a hole that he's in, and it's I don't think it can be coincidence now. I think he's been under pressure, really, really, really significant pressure, probably three times now, and on each occasion the team has pulled out results for him immediately afterwards. And I think it goes back to what I think I think it was you you were saying it, you and I might be wrong, but of all of the managers we've had post Fergie. Ollie is by a million miles the best man manager, and it is clear that the players still really, really like him in in a way that they that they didn't, you know, in a way that the LVG lost them, Moyes lost them, Mourinho double lost them, um, and and I think once you lose that um, that connection with your manager or that belief in your manager, then it, there's only one way you can go. Whereas Ollie clearly retains their trust. Um, you know, even if they have tactical concerns about him, they clearly really want to do well for him. They want to win for him as much as themselves. Um, and I think that's that's why we keep digging ourselves out of out of holes after a couple of bad results. Um, it's not it's not a bad knack to have, but it's it's finding a way of of actually turning turning it into something of more substance and and that actually could be seen as progress. Given the two performances and the two results we had in the previous week to actually go and win at Goodison Park was a really impressive result. Um, Only slightly tempered by the fact we've now lost Luke Shaw again when he's been playing really well with a fantastic cross onto the head of Bruno Fernandes and even better header. Paul, now I know that you always preferred Marcus Rocco at left back and we've got that on tape. Yeah. You know, if we ever need to subpoena you at some point, bring him back. No, why? Go away. <laughs> no. Where is he? Does anybody know where he actually no is? Idea. Is he even? Is he even? No idea. Actually, trying to be a professional footballer at the moment, or is he just off somewhere? I don't. Doing... He can't be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Who yeah, knows? He's probably getting paid a large amount of money to do not very little, and there yeah. we go. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Um, Luke Shaw losing out again to injury. Um, obviously, Alex Tellis coming back from uh, his uh, isolation is good timing. Obviously, it sucks that he's got to go off to Brazil at this exact stage to go do off some internationals, but we'll deal with that as best we can. It's certainly been noticeable these last few games how much better he's looking in an attacking sense. And two assists, considering that he'd scored... Wait, sorry, he offered like four in the previous sort of, what, four or five seasons, is mad ridiculous numbers so by all means continue on that good crossing because it's been ages and ages and ages since we've had someone capable of delivering a good cross onto the head of a, of a player in the penalty area but yeah i mean we've spoken a bit about bruno fernandez there on uh, in terms of his saturday performance paul and again you know marcus rashford uh <laughs> fake glancing that header in for the second goal which has got to be a bruno fernandez goal i mean that's that's the point marcus rashford again doing bits politically all over the country uh pushing the, uh, boris johnson and the conservative government into a u-turn on school meals it's incredible it's just a normal week for um, him isn't it it's uh, honestly like unbelievable I, um i kind of I, you run out of superlatives don't you for the for him i mean and it's the way he does it he just gets on with it goes about it in such a nice way 
He's not got angry once. Yeah, it's incredible. He's, he's literally changing lives. He's played the government in a way that they're not used to. So <clears throat> absolutely, there's been absolutely no politics to it at all. He's not. He's not. Te- he's not no. telling anyone to vote Labour. He's not telling anyone to slag the Tories off. He just. He's not getting angry when 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 you know Tories are sort of coming at him. Well, fine about crack dens and yeah. and prostitution, and he doesn't. You know, he he kind of just ignores it. Yeah. And comes up with a, an actual irrefutable fact, you know, and it's all coming from his own experience, of course, as well, which is, again, something that a lot of these people just have absolutely no idea about. You know, they've not lived it. He has. Yeah, well, as you said there, he's taken the bipartisan polit- political element out of it, hasn't he? You know, le- yes. conservatives are braced for a straight uh, blue versus red fight. And this hasn't been that. This has been... Rashford trying to push through a change of policy, not getting the result that he and millions of other people needed and wanted, and deciding, well, sod it, I'll just go do it myself. And he's done it. And it's made the government look completely incompetent in the process. But even then, when when you, it has made them look incompetent and kind of cruel as well. But even that, like his tweet the night was, was essentially just saying, just had a great chat with Boris Johnson. It was not like, oh, you know... I've just I've just embarrassed Boris Johnson again. It's just I've just had a really, you know, really great chat with Boris Johnson. We've got some great news. Blah blah blah. On we go. I mean, there's not many people in this world that could say I just had a great chat with Boris Johnson and I'm not instantly shaking in my boots. Put it that way. Well, I think what actually ultimately moved the government was was when he started. All of the big retailers started coming on board, and all sorts of different different big corporate interests came in. And it, at that point, you'd had local businesses. Who had, who'd helped out over half term and then you've got kind of big corporate entities as well and and literally the only people who weren't helping at that point were the government yeah councils and yeah councils you know, doing it as well tory councils yeah i mean the thing is as well i can I, I still don't understand why the government chose that as a hill to die on given the the sorts of sums oh, the sorts of sums they're talking it? about i mean it, it's it's i think they're talking about they they they've got a 400 million pound fund which yeah, you know, to, to, to the every man is a lot of money, but but when you're seeing the government throw billions at really dodgy, self-interested crony com- crony-backed companies for PPE that in many cases wasn't even delivered or was the wrong thing or whatever else, you know, those mm. sorts of sums. Why, in the name of God, would you pick a fight over feeding <laughs> hungry kids for four hundred million quid? Yeah. You know, and I think that the worst thing was, I think they thought that they could just have an argument with him. And because I think people get a bit sick. If you see if you watch Prime Minister's questions or whatever else, and you, you essentially just see two sides of the of the, the commons essentially behaving like children at each other and, and having a slangy match. And everyone just rolls their eyes because it's just it's just tedious and pathetic. And I think they thought they completely underestimated. They did. Him, yeah, they? absolutely. You know, I think they thought they could draw him into a kind of petty argument that would just turn people off but but as you as we were yeah. as you were saying that the fact that he's completely refused to be even confrontational in any way yeah. with anybody it just meant that it would it's really hard for all but the most miserable social media sods to to actually not empathize with what he was trying to trying to achieve and not to want it to happen or to help yeah, and I think a nod to Raheem Sterling as well, who Rashford said was kind of his inspiration. Yeah. 
Raheem Sterling has also done some fantastic words. Some of the, of, you know, the things he's, he's said and his behaviour and stuff in terms of racism has been remarkable. And I think there there are. I think people do underestimate these young footballers um, at their peril. Really. I think there was no, a no, real absolutely. I think, I think there was a real degree of a right wing government not wanting to be told what to do by a young working class black kid. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I'm absolutely certain there's an element of that. He, he's, of he's, you know, he can't tell us what to do. What, who is he to tell us what to do? You know? And I think that was perhaps their undoing. They're almost put in an impossible position because, because they, that go, the government has taken on board so many unsavory elements on the right as a result of Brexit, really, that they're in a position where they, 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 they've got too many people to upset and to actually be seen, be seen to be told what to do or to, to allow a you know working class black kid to form policy is perhaps <laughs> the worst, the worst, the worst possible thing that any Tory government could ever <laughs> do. But, um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately you played them absolutely perfectly and I, and I think he'll go on. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm sure they're hoping he'll just go away now, but I don't think he will. <laughs> no, I think he's going to go away. No, no way. Not a no. chance. And fair play to him. I think he's an absolute... I mean, we've used this word far too many times. I'm actually going to Google inspiration synonyms because I feel like I've said that word far too many times and talk far too many times to talk about Ra- Rashford. Mm. Let me have a look. Inspiration it's true though, isn't synonyms. It? Revelations, not quite the one. He's a bloody hero is what he is. A bloody hero. Yeah. He's a bloody hero. A bloody hero. I mean, to be fair, whilst we've said all those good things about Rashford, he was pretty rubbish on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, I love him to bits. Doesn't matter. Um, I mean, the, the forward line actually, ironically, apart from obviously good old Edison Cavani who bagged his first goal at the end of the game. Um, neither Rashford or Martial necessarily had their best games, but the, considering that the way we were set up in the second half, they didn't necessarily need to. I mean, it would have been better had we taken a couple of those chances. You know, Rashford had a great one one on one with uh, Jordan Pickford, but hit it straight at him. And there were a couple of options here and there, but. Now, I mean, that second half as a whole was something that, again, I think we've seen a lot from United. And I guess with, you know, Ali's very good point about having to play within, what, not even three full days, having just been playing in Istanbul and having to play again a game at home on the Saturday lunchtime is just farcical. I mean, Mm. Spurs have had to deal with a very cramped fixture this as well. So it's not like we've had it the worst, but that game could have gone very, very differently. And I think perhaps there was an element in the second half thinking about it now that United were just conserving energy, considering that they were in the middle of a very busy period. And this is the last game of it. And they have been bitten in these situations before. So it was good that we were able to see the better side of performance from Harry Maguire in that game uh, because he had one of his better games for the club, make no mistake. I thought especially that header uh, away when uh, it's probably Everton's best chance and it, he dealt with that pretty well in the second half and they frequently, I mean, did this again the last year, I think it was, and we drew with them one all at Goodison. He was doing this a lot in terms of getting the ball and clearing it and it was under pressure a lot in that second half and he kept us and bailed us out frequently. And, you know, it wasn't too dissimilar this time, apart from the fact we actually took the lead and kept the lead and then rounded it all off. You know, Bruno running well. I thought he delayed that pass a little bit too long and Edison wisely, Cavani went out wide and just waited a second, held his run perfectly and then slotted home. It was good to see him get that goal. You know, he's not even made a start for United yet and you hope to see him score more. You know, he's only got three more goals to get even with Radamel Falcao's wonderful tally of four over the course of one calendar year. So there's hoping he gets a couple more than that. 
But yeah, Paul, nice to see him get on the score sheet and round that game off. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, he does seem like a bit of a sort of desperation signing. But I mean, I'd love to be there. I would have loved to have been there when he sort of came on for United for the first time. Um, I'm really missing being at Old Trafford and, and it's moments like that because he's a fantastic player. You know, he's been a, a sort of stalwart of, of European football now for, for years. Fantastic goal scorer, incredible record. You know, I think Martial needs a bit of pressure on him. Obviously, Greenwood seems to have gone a little bit AWOL recently. Um, and he's, he's, he's another option, um, whether he's off the bench or he does start starting games, who knows. But one thing that just is undeniable is his finishing ability is absolutely amazing. And it was a pretty simple goal for him, really, for a player of his standard. But I'd, I was with you. I was, I was absolutely convinced he was going to be ruled off for offside. Well, so was Steve well, McManaman, to be fair. I wasn't listening. Ah, oh, well, probably for the best. Screw that guy. Anyway, <laughs> a, use, <laughs> yeah, a useful victory given that, uh, I mean, even you, Paul, must have had, maybe not doubts, but weren't necessarily relishing this game considering the ways that we've been defeated against Arsenal and Istanbul in the previous games reading up to this one. Um, and it's fair to say that, you know, I was particularly worried about going into it because I just felt, well, given how directionless we looked in these two games, you know, that, and it's more than just that. It's about how United started the season. Now, there is some mitigation for that. We all know there is because United came back late. They barely had any training and they clearly weren't at the races until we technically really beat Newcastle. And that was only a couple of weeks ago. Sure, it's taken us a while to really hit our stride. But that doesn't excuse the performances against Arsenal. It doesn't necessarily negate how light and negative we were against Chelsea. And it definitely doesn't excuse the performance against Istanbul. You know, these were more about tactical problems and levels of effort than it was to do with being undercooked. And especially when you combine all that together, it did make for a cloud of negativity that was... It was difficult to avoid especially in the aftermath of that game I mean I switched off for a good couple of days after that I I couldn't keep scrolling through our timeline because I just felt too low and too worn down by it because we've just been here so many times and the constant back and forth that Rich has pointed out in the sense that Ollie just always seems to do enough to keep his job but and it's difficult for us to try and get up to the next level we still seem to be taking too many steps back to go with our steps forward and managing your emotions and your response to that can actually be quite tricky when you start to invest in United again and start to get positive and feel a little bit confident going into games and then you served up results and performances like that we don't have a right to win every game of course we don't but you kind of can't trust this team in terms of levels of performance they are so wildly variable in terms of the effort and the output that we get which makes it even more tiring to get through so I guess Rich in that sense just getting through that game with a victory coming as it did so soon after the game in Istanbul I mean nice time to take a breather yeah yeah it's nice to it's nicer to go into an international break on a win than a loss I mean the well, the last time we went to an international break, we got beaten six one. So yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, I guess, I guess that after after that defeat, it kind of felt like I wanted a two week break. Um, whereas now, it's just a shame. You kind of always want to get onto the next one, don't you? If you if you've just won well, it's a little bit of a shame we've we've got a break now. But it's also ridiculous that there's an in, another international break. So yeah, it is three and game international three games break. Again, so yeah. absurd. Yeah, I mean it's ridiculous. It's... In the current situation, I mean, what the You're hell? Not, it's absolute slapstick. It is, but <laughs> normally shambles. Um, yeah, but no, <laughs> no, no part of this has been done with the with the, the health of the players in mind, has it? Absolutely no, none of it. Not. You know. But yeah, it, it is. It is ridiculous. In terms of United, I kind of got to the point 
now where if we lose a game badly, it doesn't quite hurt as much as it used to. And if we win a game well, I don't want to get carried. I, I, I can't. My, my brain just won't let me get carried away and, and think that things might be better because we've just gone around in so many circles now. It would be, it would just be this team all over to to go and win. What is it? Their eighth consecutive away game at Goodison and then lose at home to West Brom in an abject performance with a eighty third minute winner from somebody who played in the championship last year. That would be this United team all over, wouldn't it? What we need to do and what United need to do and what Ollie needs to 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 do and is is just get some of the our trust in the team back again I think just going forward I mean we certainly had it at the end of the season towards the end of last season Ferguson do you remember Alex Ferguson no he was that you know we used to go on some pretty you know we go on like a a game of a few games bad run or whatever under Fergie and every time we did that He'd start at the back, he'd just tighten up, safety first, just to get a bit of confidence back. And I think this defence just desperately needs a clean sheet or two, you know what I mean? It's You can see that they're just so easily rattled. And Solskjaer, as a manager like of United, he does tend to go on these sort of runs every now and then. Mm. If we could just go on a decent run, this the team's. Not, I don't think the team is as brittle as it was this time last last year. But we need a decent run of, of games, and I mean, I I, I know obviously, I, personally, I don't think the club's as close to getting rid of him as as, as some people were making at the MEM were making out. Obviously, Pochettino's is just this kind of spectre in the background, but I think Oli, the, the the club have kind of bought into the project that Oli's on, that they're trying to you know do and. You know, it wasn't that long ago. Ollie was telling us all that patience would be needed. It was a rebuild. He had to get rid of a load of players. He had to bring in better quality. And we were all kind of nodding along sagely saying, yeah, finally, someone's here. Telling us the truth, not just what we want to hear. Um, because when you think about when, when he took over, things were a mess. Mm. Absolute mess. And it is incredibly frustrating watching United under Ollie. It really is. But they were always going to be challenging. We weren't going to be challenged for the title. I remember he actually said himself, "We're not going to be challenged for the title for you know what was it two to three years or three to four years or whatever." And again, we were all like, "Well, yeah, th- this is this is where we that are." Pre-COVID as well, wasn't, wasn't it? That was, you know, pre. It was pre-COVID, yeah. and this this season's just mental as it is, you know. And so here's a man who isn't coming in just making ridiculous promises. He's he's started sort of from the bottom. He's he's trying to improve the youth system. He's bringing young players through. He's made good signings. He's got rid of a load of deadwood, and it is incredibly frustrating. And you know, it's incredibly frustrating watching United at the moment because um, when we get it right, we get it so right. And but when we get it wrong, it's like catastrophic. It kind of feels mm. like it kind of feels like he's probably doing the things that are needed off the pitch, but isn't necessarily quite the right man to to see it through to the to to its you know a hopefully successful conclusion. You know, so many things off the pitch at United are a lot better than they were. The the academy is really thriving now. I mean, they're really unfortunate. Well, they weren't unfortunate. They deserved to lose to Chelsea in the semi-final of the FA Youth Cup um, last week. But but there's some real talent in that. It, yeah, they, they got there. They no? did, but there's some real talent in that group now. And they, they, they've, they've recruited again very aggressively. The under-18s and under-23s both won. Um, very well at the weekend again. The, there's some real talent coming through at United in to, in quantities that we haven't seen for a very long time. I think we've got a better squad than either than either the one that LVG left and the one that the Mourinho yeah. left. Um, and I oh think yeah, absolutely. A, it's a better group of people as well. Um, 
Yeah. And I think I think there is something to the, the culture side of things and and actually kind of going back to to focusing on 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 people and um, and how everything fits together. I just I just ultimately think that, that, that tactically he's not perhaps the man that's going to finish the job off. But I, I do think there's a chance that maybe five, ten years down the line, we'll look back and we'll say Ollie didn't quite get us there. But we can see now that the thing, a lot of the things he was doing were, was really pivotal in what came after it. And I'm not saying we're going to go back to winning titles or European Cups or whatever, because we know we know the impediments that we're dealing with institutionally at United. That's the thing, isn't it? You, you, whoever you bring in, they're working with at least one hand tied behind the back, really. You know, we saw it, with, we've seen it with, with everyone who's since Fergie, really. Well, certainly Mourinho. I mean, Mourinho was, wasn't backed in his last summer. Ali's not really been backed this summer, you know, and, and both of them were sort of coming from position of strength. So, you know, we finished second, but still miles behind City under Mourinho. We finished third, but still miles behind last season under Solskjaer. And that's when you build. That's when you. That's when you try and sort of, hit, you know, really, really build on that momentum. And we never do it. We never do it. And it doesn't matter who you bring in. The club are never going to back a manager as much as he needed to be. And I think you're right, Rich, about, you know, sort of the off-field stuff and the culture. I think passion and pride and hard work and playing for the shirt and all that sort of thing is kind of mocked and derided these days. But it's important. It's part, it's part of the mix, isn't it? You know, these are all parts it's of the totally mix. It's totally part of the mix, yeah. yeah. And it's something that we complain about a hell of a lot under LBG, but particularly under Mourinho, where, you know, so many of us, and I include myself in this, would, would sort of be screaming at the, at the pitch or the TV or whatever. Because as a fan, you think, well, I'd do anything to be out there. Mm. Anything. And so often we just see players going through the motions. I don't think we see that as much anymore. Now and then we do, but nowhere near as much. Mm. Mm, maybe not quite as regularly, but still a little bit too much for comfort, put it that way. But, you know, no, I think that's all That's all very reasonable, I think, gentlemen. I think the uh, it's difficult to... I've said this several times, but you know, the, the unpredictability about United is something that I've, I'm still not sure that Oli can actually get us playing consistently good football up to a higher level than we're currently producing. And I'd love to see it. And I still think that we know that this team and these players can produce more than they have done in stages in the first sort of chunk of this season. And I'm still excited to see where we could go. You know, there's still plenty of games left to come. You know, we, we start back in the league with a home game against West Brom, which good grief we've got to be winning that surely and then the yeah and then the reverse against Bass actually here they come to Old Trafford three days later and then high flying Southampton away at St Mary's which is going to be a tricky game because we haven't necessarily had the best of luck there over the last several years so he's a good manager yeah 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 Ralph Hausenhutl's done a good job there. They look, yeah. considering where they have been, I remember the last, the 9-0 against Leicester last season, they, and they were a very difficult proposition to play against last season. You know, it was a difficult 2-2 mm. draw and they were good value for that at Old Trafford towards the end of last season. So that's not going to be an easy one. And then PSG after that. I feel like once we get into mid-December, we might have a better indication about where the season may go. But I guess now, as obviously the likes of Klopp and Guardiola and Solskjaer have been talking about the fact that they want more substitutions, you start to look at how the bigger teams are going to be using their squads. And United do have four goal-scoring options in their forward positions. They have some backups who might not be ideal, but at least can for the squad position. And then you've got some real quality in terms of creativity in midfield. So... You know, there's still goals in this United team. And I think one of the good things that Solskjaer at least has at his disposal over the next coming months is that at least he has options in almost every position in the pitch to be able to chop and change a little bit 
And it's up to him at this at this stage now to try and make sure that performance levels don't dip dramatically when he does start to make those changes because there's so many games coming up. You know, if United get through against Everton in the uh, EFL Cup, then that's going to add another two fixtures in terms of a semi-final double header by the time we get around to January. And if we qualify from the Champions League, which Touchwood we really should be doing at this stage, then it's even going to get even more mad when we get around to the knockout stages in March. So it's, you know, remember, remember that Mitchell and Webb look uh, skit where it's uh, David Mitchell walking around Sky Sports style talking about all the football, football, football that's going to be going on forever. <laughs> this is basically this season in a microcosm. This is yeah, all we've got to look forward to. Isn't it? Yeah. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Gentlemen, anything more to say? Well, you're good for the time being. Shall we have a nice couple of weeks off before that game against West Brom? I think we should. I think we definitely should. I'm exhausted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't forget there is the Manchester derby to look forward to at Lee Sports Verge coming up this coming weekend, followed by a Thursday derby in the Conti Cup for the women. So by all means, do check those games out. Anyway, gentlemen, always a pleasure, never a chore. Thank you very much for joining me this and every other night, quite frankly. It's lovely. Pleasure. Thanks to you and thanks, Rich. And guys, thank you as always so much for listening. Don't forget, if you so wish, you can always talk to us on Twitter about pretty much anything. Although, to be fair, Rich and Paul and I are probably more likely to talk to you about United than anything else at this exact moment in time. You can find me at you and like this, Rich at Rich Red Voices, Paul at Paul Gunning One, and the pod itself at Red Voices MUFC. And if you're feeling so inclined, drop us a review and a rating or anything on those lines on iTunes, on Acast, or follow on Spotify. It'd be fantastic because it helps raise our profile and gets us more listeners, which is always a wonderful thing and something we'd be very grateful for. We'll be back with another new episode after the West Brom game. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>